Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. We're certainly happy and glad that you're here with us this morning, as has already been stated. Hopefully, I greeted most of you as you came in. Um, if you're new, we do series of teachings about certain topics, and our series that we're in the middle of now is called Without a Doubt. If you'd like to catch up on the past ones, or the audio is on our, our website. So, um, Hopefully you're excited about being here this morning. Um, this week is a special week in the life of our church. We'll have about 100, 100 plus kids here this <laughs> every morning this week. Be able to, to love on them and tell them about God. And a ton of you will be volunteers helping out. And it's just a very special week. Do it only once a year. And uh, one of my memories, I started going to church when I was about 13. And back then... They had classes for 13-year-olds. It was Bible school. Um, so for some of you, that might be a good memory also. So if, you can, if you're a helper, appreciate the efforts. And if you're not, not, at least please pray for everything that goes well this week. Okay, without a doubt, let's review a little bit. Uh, first week we talked about trust begins when we make God a priority, not just a passing thought. So, you know, depending on where you are in your relationship with God this morning. If you're not a Jesus follower, we're especially happy that you're here checking us out. But most likely, then God's just a passing thought. And that's some place to start. But if you want to really develop trust, you have to make God a priority. And then the next week we talked about when you can't see the hands of God, when things aren't necessarily going your way, you must trust the heart of God. And... Uh, once you know the heart of God, you know that God loves you, God cares about you, God wants best for you, and then no matter what else is going on around you, um, you can trust God through it. And we have this promise, if it's not good, it's not over. And so I'm sure in crowd this side, some of you are going through some stuff that's not good. Well, God promises if it's not good, it's not over, because he can work all things together for good. And then last week we talked about, we've done all I can do, and it's up to you. And we specifically talked about people that were far from God that we care about and we love and we like them to get connected with God. So we do our part and then we trust God to do the rest. <clears throat> and today's topic is a little different. It's an area that you may doubt if you're a Jesus follower. And even if you're not, that I doubt I can be more like Jesus. And we're going to start off with a video clip that most of you should recognize. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I move. I move. I dream I groove like Mike. If I could be like Mike. Oh, if I could be like Mike. Like Mike. If I could be like Mike. Be like Mike. Be like Mike. Be like Mike. Yeah, I try. Most of you remember the Be Like Mike, some of you might not be old enough, but Be Like Mike commercials. How did that make you feel? Was that encouraging? Um, 
I know the ad was to try to sell Gatorade, and maybe you went out and bought Gatorade and drank Gatorade, so you'd be like Mike. But Mike, Michael Jordan was a, was a basketball player, right? And I don't know how many of you have played basketball, but I was a pretty good basketball player back in the day. I got thinking. <laughs> One time in a church basketball league when I was a teenager, I scored half the points of our team. Now, the downside of that story, we only scored 18 points that game, but I scored nine of them. So I was a pretty good ball player at one time. Uh, but when I say, think about Michael Jordan and my basketball skills, it's pretty depressing, right? Uh, in fact, it's discouraging. It's, it's, it's downright impossible for me to be anywhere as near like Michael Jordan when it comes to playing basketball. So consequently, for Christianity, it's one of the most challenging things to be like Jesus. Because as great a basketball player as Michael Jordan is, he's no comparison to Jesus. Jesus was perfect, and I'm far from perfect. Now, when we talk about Christianity, it's not what we call fire insurance. It isn't sometime in your past you walked down an aisle and maybe got baptized or you prayed a prayer and now you just live the rest of your life any way you want to. That's not Christianity. And it's not hard to do churchy stuff. It's not hard to read your Bible. It's hard to read your Bible every day. It's not hard to read the Bible. Uh, depending on what parts you're reading, some parts are easier to read than others. It's not hard to come to church. It's hard to church, come to church every week, but it's not hard to come to church once in a while. You all did it this morning, right? You came to church. It's not even hard to help people. It's not hard to put some money in the offering plate. But to be like Jesus, that's really, well, we would say impossible, right? Now, it'd be cool if God told us, hey, why don't you be like David, for example? Now, David wrote a bunch of the Psalms, and in some of the Psalms, part of the Bible, he would say things like, God, you're my rock, you're my fortress. Other parts, he would write, God, where are you? I, can't, I haven't got a clue. Most of us can relate to that, right? Or maybe Peter. Peter stuck his foot in his mouth a lot, <laughs> made mistakes, even denied Jesus. I can relate to that. I've done that. Uh, Thomas, what's Thomas's nickname? Doubting. Yeah, we all can relate to that. That's what this whole series is about. Ladies, you'll have to relate to, you know, Eve tempted, gave into temptation. Can you relate to that? Or uh, Sarah didn't believe that God would give her the, uh, uh, a child. Or, or uh, Martha, you know, was already worried about the working thing, about the, uh, not about the grace thing. Uh, but God didn't say that. He said we should be more like Jesus. That's hard. That's difficult. That's impossible. That can be very discouraging. But on the other hand, the closer I get to Jesus, the more my life has changed. I've never, and I've been a pastor a long time, I've never had anybody call me up or come to my office or come to my house and sit down and talk to me and say, Pastor, I'm becoming more like Jesus and it blew up my marriage. Or I'm becoming more like Jesus and it blew up my family. I'm a terrible parent now. Or I became more like Jesus and it blew up my career. Or I became more like Jesus and it ruined my finances. I've never had anybody, now I'm not saying it can't happen, but I've never had anybody say to me, becoming more like Jesus destroyed or ruined my life. The problem is, becoming more like Jesus is so But there's a fact of life that we become more like the people we hang out with, right? I've been married for almost 40 years, 
And fortunately, I'm, a, I'm more like my wife now. And she's a much better person than I am. Most of you would agree. Um, so I've developed some of her qualities. And hopefully, maybe she's developed some good qualities of mine. It works on the negative side, too. If you hang out with somebody that's using some kind of slang language you shouldn't be using, after a while, what do you start doing? You start talking like that, too. But the closer we get to Jesus, the more we get changed. So that's kind of the, the method in the madness here is to become, become closer to Jesus, then I'll be more like Jesus. So we're going to cover a story about the life of Jesus, actually a miracle. <clears throat> and it's the only one recorded in all four gospel writers. We've got four people that told the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they tell a little bit different, but it's the only miracle that's in all four uh, gospels, as we call them. I don't know why. Evidently, it's pretty important that we know this story since all four guys wrote it down for us. So we're going to look at it from Matthew's viewpoint. It's in Matthew chapter 14. You've got a Bible. You can look at it. It'll be up on the screen or it's in your outline. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. The news was John the Baptist, as we call him, <clears throat> who baptized Jesus and was his cousin and friend of his, uh, was executed. His head was cut off. And so Jesus got that news, and of course, as any of us, one of our loved ones, relative uh, partners in ministry got executed, we would be sad, we would be grieving, and that's what Jesus is doing at this point in the story. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot for many towns. So they weren't very sensitive to Jesus' grieving and wanting to be alone. So what's Jesus going to do? Well, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So Jesus, even in the midst of his grief, set that aside, at least temporarily, and he can't do it permanently, but temporarily, so he could minister to these folks uh, that had great need. Now, one of the other writers describes Jesus as he looks at the crowd as seeing the crowd as sheep without a shepherd. Now, I've never been a shepherd, but we can understand what that means that there's people without direction without guidance the people that needed help and so when he saw that uh, he responded I think it's a good definition for compassion when you see somebody kind of aimless uh, needing direction needing help uh, to have compassion on them to want to help now let me ask you this what is your feelings what is your reaction when somebody interrupts your plans Uh, is it uh, irritation? <laughs> you get frustrated? You get feel bothered? Or do you see it, and I'll admit sometimes that's the way I react, or do we see it as an opportunity for ministry? Well, Jesus saw it as an opportunity for ministry. So the story goes on. That evening, disciples came to him and said, and evidently, maybe for hours, Jesus had been ministering and helping these folks in this crowd. It got to the evening, disciples came to him. and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. So send them away. <laughs> Let's get rid of these folks. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Now, how bold do you have to be to interrupt Jesus and then tell him what to do? <laughs> That's what the disciples do here, right? Oh, okay, Jesus, this ministry thing is great, but now it's late afternoon and I'm just implying, thinking that what I would be doing and thinking, 
we're getting tired, we're getting hungry, let's get rid of these folks, all right? And so that's what they did. <clears throat> so Jesus says, yeah, that's a good idea, right? <laughs> no, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, that's not necessary. We don't need to send them away. <laughs> You're going to feed them. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but if I'm a disciple at this point, I'm thinking, Jesus... Uh, you've done some weird things, such a weird thing, but you're actually, you know, I think you're <laughs> going off the deep end a little bit. Uh, as we're going to find out, there's a lot of people there, <clears throat> and they didn't have a lot of resources. But there's a principle here. Have you ever felt God telling you to do something you couldn't do? Now, again, if you know the heart of God, would God frustrate you and ask you to do something that was futile? What do you think? Not if you know the heart of God. He wouldn't ask you to do something like that. Now, I, get, I confess that back when I was 17 and God said I wanted you to be a, be a pastor, a preacher, and I was a shy, introverted teenager, I told him he was crazy, literally. I said, God, you don't know what you're doing. And of course, now I've been a pastor for almost 40 years, so I guess he did know what he was doing. So God is not going to tell you or I or you or me to do something that's going to completely frustrate us. He would be there to help us. So whatever lack we feel, whatever shortcomings we feel, we shouldn't let that stop us from doing what God wants us to do or wants us to try to do. <clears throat> so they kind of make it defend themselves, their attitude. They say, well, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. One of the other writers said they got it from a little boy in the crowd. <clears throat> Only five loaves and two fish. So they're preoccupied with their lack instead of focusing on the instructions of Jesus. And so the same thing happens to us, right? I, you know, I, 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 I don't have what I need to do that, Jesus. I can't do that. Instead, if God's not going to give us something to do that, that we can't do with his help, then we should see it as an opportunity for him to pitch in and help us, whatever it might be. And let me ask you this way. How big does your need have to be for you to tell Jesus he can't? Where's the line? I don't know, it's your financial situation, you're maybe in financial debt. And uh, where's the line where, yeah, Jesus can help me get out of debt here, but no, now Jesus can't help me get out of debt. Or you're in some relationship issue and how bad does a relationship have to be before you say, no, it's over. I can't do it anymore. Where's the line? What's the only word, well, not the only word, what's the word that Jesus doesn't understand? Now, there's some good words like can't and impossible. But from this story, from this verse, what is the word Jesus doesn't understand? Only. Only. You know, God, I can only do this. I only have this much time. I only have this much money. I only have this much skill. This much talent. I only have this much patience. Jesus doesn't understand only. I like to think about it this way. There's kind of like three types of people in the world. There's the feelers. I feel like I can't do this. I was a teenager. I felt like I couldn't be a pastor. 
Couldn't get up in front of people and talk. Not a big feeler person, but that case, I was a feeler. And so we feel we can't do something, or we feel like we have to tell God no. And then there's the calculators, or the, the, the figurers, calculators. That's more me. I'm, okay, five loaves, two fish, crowd of over 5,000 people, can't do it. Right? That's a figure. That's just common sense. That's logic. I, you, that doesn't equate. That doesn't work. A figure. And then there's faithers. So God said it, and I say, okay, let's do it. And eventually, that's where I got, of course, as being a pastor. I said, okay, God, let's do it. And so that's where God wants us to be. Not feelers, not figures, but faithers. See, us figures, Jesus says to us figures, your calculations are good, but you failed the test. My math is different than your math. <clears throat> so God tells us, you, we, we bring, as he says here, bring them here. It says, bring your little. Bring your little time, bring your little money, bring your little skill, bring your little energy, bring your little whatever. You bring it. I don't know about the rest of you, but I hated pop quizzes in school. We have a physics professor in the first service. I asked him if he did pop quizzes, and he said no. (laughs) These situations are like pop quizzes. And there's only one right answer. I trust you, God. That's the answer. I trust you. Trust to make me a pastor. I trust you to provide the food for this, to feed this crowd. I, I trust you. So bring what little you have. Uh, so most of you probably know the story. Then they told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed them, then breaking the bread, loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. It's interesting. When we pass out stuff, it gets divided. When Jesus passes out stuff, it multiplies. Like I said, his math is a lot different than ours. And then I love this next verse. They all ate as much as they wanted. Uh, a week ago yesterday, we went out to an expensive restaurant with Mike and Allison, a Portuguese restaurant down in Chevy Chase, uh, called Tavita. The neat thing about that is that's the town we lived in when we were missionaries in Portugal. So we went out there to eat. And I don't know about you, but it seems so strange that the more you pay for a meal, the less food you get. You ever notice that? And consequently, well, I wasn't that, f- I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't have as much as I wanted by the time the meal was over. And I paid certainly more than I wanted <laughs> by the time it was over. Now, I understand that you're paying for quality instead of quantity uh, and, and all that. Well, these folks, they didn't have to pay anything, and they ate as much as they wanted. Now, we have to understand, in their culture, people didn't get to eat as much as they wanted. They just ate enough to stay alive. Most of us don't have a problem, right? So this was, this was, this was a feast. This was a holiday. They got to eat as much as they wanted. They got to eat till they were full. Let me ask you a question. Why did Jesus feed them? Basic principle here in ministry. When people are hungry, they're not going to listen to what you have to say about God. Uh, I'm thankful for our missionaries. We have missionaries that do what we call social ministries. They feed people. We have missionaries that drill wells so people have drinking water. So when you're full, you're more likely to 
listen. When you have clean drinking water, you're more likely to listen. So that's why social ministry is so important. So when people have physical needs, God wants us to help meet those so we can help or he can help meet their spiritual needs. So afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, Jesus could have calculated exactly how much everybody could eat to be filled and no leftovers. Why leftovers? I think he's trying to teach us something. I don't know what your needs are, but God just meets your needs. Does he just barely meet your needs? I've been a Jesus follower for a long time. (laughs) And God so much more does so much more for me and my family than just meet our needs. And we could drive around a clunker and we could live in a shack and we could just barely have enough food to eat. That's not my life. That's probably not your life either. And it ends up saying that there's 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. In their culture, women and children didn't eat with the men in public. In private they did, but in public they didn't. And so they didn't count the women and children, but this was a big crowd. Now, so that's the story. I want to help pick out four things that you and I can do to make us more like Jesus. Because it's just kind of overwhelming to be more like Jesus, right? So these are things that all of us can do, all of us can work on to be more like Jesus. Now, the first thing is this, and this is a biggie, compassion, compassion. Let me ask you a question. Who do you have a hard time loving? I was driving behind someone the other day going 35 miles an hour in a 50-mile zone. I don't know. I just have a hard time loving people to do that. Maybe it's the person that wants to get their exact change and you're on a checkout line and they're going through their purse looking for, my wife does that, looking for just the right coins to pay the, pay the person. Uh, coming up on football season. I, we don't do this most of the other seasons of the year, but you guys start wearing different jerseys. And if you're a Steeler fan, do you have trouble loving Raven fans? And vice versa? Uh, of course, the whole skin thing. If somebody's color their skin's a little different than yours, do you have trouble loving them? Or maybe somebody has a different sexual preference than you do, do you have trouble loving them? So instead of judging them or looking down on them, why don't we try instead seeing them like God sees them? That's a good way to describe compassion too, isn't it? Seeing people the way God sees them. So instead of praying, God, change my spouse, maybe we could start praying, God, let me see my spouse the way you see my spouse. God, change my kids, and maybe they need to be changed. But God, let me see my kids the way you see my kids. Or that person you don't care for at work, saying, God, why don't you get, move them or move me? Why don't you pray, God, let me see them the way you see them, with eyes of compassion. See, in the story, it's interesting. Compassion was the foundation of the miracle, wasn't it? If Jesus didn't have compassion on the crowd, he was agreed with the disciples. They didn't have much compassion. All right, time for you guys to, to go home, find something to eat. 
Well, this was a miracle. Some people ask me, do we have miracles today? I say, sure, we have lots of miracles. I don't know what your viewpoint on that is. The biggest miracle I see is when somebody steps across the line and becomes a Jesus follower. Anytime that happens, it's a miracle. Anytime somebody (laughs) decides, hey, I'm not going to be in control of my life anymore. I'm going to give control over to somebody else. Uh, That's a miracle. But I see other miracles. Uh, I see miracles in my own life. The way I'm a more compassionate person, a more loving person, a more like my wife person, that's a miracle. I didn't used to be that way. But why don't we see more miracles? I think the biggest reason is because there just seems to be a lack of compassion in our world today. There seems to be less and less compassion. So, let me challenge you this week to pray for that person you have a hard time loving. Now, let me give you a warning. It'll be uncomfortable. But it can be awesome when God changes your heart. So, that's something we all can do, right? Work on our compassion this week. Second thing, concern. Concern. Now, we're all concerned about different things, right? Now, you're really concerned about your kids. I might not be concerned about your kids. I might not even know your kids. You're concerned about your marriage. I might not even know about your marriage. You're concerned about your finances. I don't know your finances, unless you've told me. Uh, you might be concerned about the dolphins or the whales or the seals or, you know, the planet in general. All good stuff, right? <clears throat> but the problem is you can watch the news on TV and be concerned about lots of things. The problem is without compassion, you don't do anything. In fact, most of the time you complain, right? Complain about the polit- politics, complain about the economy, complain about this or what. You are concerned but you don't have compassion. So until you're motivated, and I'm motivated by compassion, (laughs) the concern will just frustrate you and I. So let me ask you something. Half the people you know, at least, aren't Jesus followers, are unchurched people. If you come to church regularly, you're concerned about them, but do you have compassion for them? Do you do anything about it. We should be more concerned about eternity than behavior. See, what we're usually concerned about is behavior. You don't go to church or you act this way, you shouldn't. But our concern, our compassion should lead us to be concerned about their eternity. If you're a Jesus follower, why are you left here on this planet? <laughs> why are you here? Well, it's supposed to be all about Jesus, right? Jesus for you, for your family, for your friends. That's what it's supposed to be about. So our compassion, concerns should lead us to be compassionate about the eternity of these folks. We talked about that last week. If you weren't here, you can uh, go back and listen to that. John described Jesus this way. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, most of you are probably getting hungry right now, right? Maybe you'll eat a big lunch. By 5 o'clock, what happens again? You're hungry again, right? Or maybe sooner than that. And things of this world don't satisfy. Food doesn't satisfy. Our 
completely satisfied. You get to the place never be hungry. Whatever you drink, never get to the place you never be thirsty. Whatever you buy, never satisfies. You buy a new car, eventually gets old, you're not satisfied with it anymore. You get a, a new iPhone or new whatever kind of phone, and after a while, what? Doesn't satisfy anymore. So when we look at people, we should be concerned because they're trying to be filled with things that don't satisfy. So we can be concerned and motivated by compassion and be concerned for people's eternity. Third thing is this, we all can do. Generosity. Generosity. We all can be generous. Generosity blows people's minds. Um, Back about the time, yeah, right, the time we started coming to this church over 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I was unemployed with four kids for about a year. And uh, God supplied all our needs and more. In fact, some of you may have been generous to us. A lot of times it was secretly. We didn't know who was giving us money and providing stuff for us. Just blows your mind. I don't know how many of you worked in the restaurant industry. I heard this and it really bothered me. The worst day for tips is Sunday when the church people come to restaurants. The best day for tips? Friday and Saturday night. Is that right? When uh, (laughs) people are getting drunk, I guess. I don't know. Enjoying themselves. Folks, the restaurants should have the biggest, people in the restaurant industry should have the biggest tips on Sunday when you and I are there. Because we should be generous. In fact, some of you complain about people working on Sunday, then you go out to eat in the restaurant. Uh, causing people to work, right? So who is generous in this story? You say, well, the boy was. He gave his lunch away, as we say in the children's ministry. <laughs> well, yes and no. Who provided the bread and the fish for this boy? Well, you say his parents. Well, who provided for his parents? God did. Everything you and I have, God provided, right? Let's be generous. Now, let me ask you a simple question from this story. When the boy gave his lunch to Jesus, he gave his lunch away, did he end up with more or less? I assume he was one of those persons that got to eat as much as he wanted. Assuming he wanted more than five loaves and two. Now, these weren't loaves of bread like this. This was little loaves of bread. <laughs> and I was, I was to ask you, how many of you would like to be blessed? Everybody would put their hand up. Nobody does not want to be blessed. Well, Jesus said a simple thing. It's recorded in Acts chapter 20. He said this. It's more blessed, it says to remember this, it's more blessed to give than receive. Ah. So the next, if you, well, you wouldn't go to Chick-fil-A today, but next time you're at the drive, drive through at Chick-fil-A or some other restaurant, pay for the person's meal behind you. You want to blow somebody's mind? My wife's done that. I've never done that. She's more generous than I. My wife's done that. She thought it was the coolest thing. And if you ever had it happen to you, anybody ever had somebody do that to for them? Is that awesome or what? But we will not be generous until our concern is motivated by our compassion. And the last thing you and I can do is be involved in church. Now here's where I'm going to lose some of you. 
You don't like church. Well, I don't like church either. Well, most churches. I love this church, but I don't like most churches. <laughs> and I understand. Well, there's a bunch of people there with problems. Well, don't you have problems? And there's a bunch of hypocrites there. Well, don't you, aren't you a hypocrite? Let's, let's be honest. We're all <laughs> hypocrites, right? Let's go back to Michael Jordan. <clears throat> Arguably the best basketball players ever lived. Somebody might come along as better, but, and you might argue, but if not the top, one of the top. I don't know if you remember his, 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 uh, his history, but he got bored with basketball. He won three championships in three years. He got bored. So you know what did he, what did he go and do? Who knows? He went and played baseball. He was a great baseball player, right? No. And he made a movie, right? Uh, Space Jams. He was a great actor, right? No. <laughs> All right. Now here's the lesson. God gifted him to be fantastically to be a basketball player. Nobody would argue with that. Would you separate him from basketball? And at best, he's mediocre, right? Mediocre actor or worse. A mediocre baseball player or worse. You see, God wired you and I, if you're a Jesus follower, to be involved with other Jesus followers. And we call that church. And when you separate a Jesus follower from church or from other believers, you just become mediocre at best. So, which of these areas do you need to work on this week? I'm going to challenge you to do that. And I want to end with something different this morning. <clears throat> kind of goes along with what we were talking about last week. I don't know if you've ever seen this called a relationship with God scale. And a minus 10 is a person that is hostile against Christianity. They would never walk into a church. They would, if you start talking about God, they're going to argue with you and yell at you. That's a minus 10. You get to hear to a, everybody's somewhere on a scale. This is the point. All your friends, loved ones, relatives are somewhere on the scale. Uh, you get down here at 8 or 7, you can probably have a conversation with them about God. Maybe 5 or 4, you might get them to come to church. Uh, you get down here to 1... Now the point is, a minus 10 is not going to become a Jesus follower. You can talk to them to your blue in the face. Your goal should be to get them to be a minus 9. You know, a minus uh, 9 is not going to come to church. But they may enter into a conversation with you. So you've got to figure out as best you can what this person is and make it your goal when you're talking to them, ministering to them, to get them to move toward the cross. And I want you all to identify yourself on the scale here this morning. And if you're down here to minus one or two, we're going to encourage you to step across that line. Then once you become a Jesus follower, you're a one. And then as you begin to get closer to God and be more like Jesus, you kind of go up the scale. So just kind of place yourself. But more importantly, maybe place that loved one or relative or friend that isn't connected with God yet. Figure out where they are and figure out what you can do to help them move them along, move them closer to the cross. And we're going to end with this verse that tells you how to step across that line. This is recorded in Romans. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, that means you tell somebody. And we have cards you can write it on. You can talk to somebody after the service. And believe in your heart that God raised him, meaning Jesus, from the dead. You will be saved or you will en or enter into a relationship with God. So as we end this morning, I want to pray for you that you step across that line. All right, let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you.
for those folks here that are not Jesus followers. We want to pray that they would move toward the cross. And if they're close, that they would step across that line and let somebody know that they stepped across that line. Um, they don't need to worry about changing. Changing comes afterwards. They need to just believe. So we pray, God, that they would do that this morning. Um, they have questions. We, we, obviously, we're here to help answer those questions. God, I pray for all our folks here as we're praying for, for loved ones who are far from God and our friends, that we can help them move closer to the cross. And God, uh, we, we pray that prayer as we talked about last week. We believe, but God help our unbelief, whether it's in the area of becoming more like you or some of these other areas we talked about. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.